Welcome back, everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified emotionally focused therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. We have back to our show one of our very favorite EFT trainers from New York and Connecticut. We have George Fowler. He's an ISEF certified EFT trainer and supervisor. He's also the president of the New York Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy, and he is an amazing trainer, and we've had him on our show before, and we're so blessed to have him back again. Thank you, George, for being back with us today. Annabelle, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, guys, today we are going to be talking about working with emotion. That's right, that big scary word, emotion. <laughs> I know it's that word that kind of puts the fear into the hearts of our clients when they come in. They're like, you said emotion. We work really hard to avoid that kind of thing. <laughs> so, George, let's talk about, so emotion seems to be something that therapists really struggle with. Can we maybe first talk about the difference between reactive secondary and primary emotion? Sure. Well, let's just get into, even as you're starting off with emotion, how do we have as flexible a wide range as possible? Uh, certainly some of us are afraid of, in, at different points in the process of leaning into some emotions, but let's not limit it to just our fears of emotion. I mean, emotions also, it makes us feel alive and is vibrant and, you know, it's why we do what we do is because of these emotions. And I'm always trying to find myself developing more of a balanced perspective of emotion. What's the mm -hmm. function of it? How does it work well? And then what are the costs? Mm -hmm. How does sometimes it, it get in the way or make, make life worse? So, and I think that's, most therapists, I believe, have a problem with just that basic energy level yeah. when it comes to working with emotions. It's, you know, we see these t training tapes and it always seems like the therapist is talking slow and soft. And somehow we're supposed to do that all the time. But if you look at people in the real world, nobody talks that way, slow and soft, hour after hour after hour. I mean, that's such a limited range. Yes. And so I find myself, I want to go slow and soft when people are vulnerable and I want to get more energized when people are escalated and I want to laugh when they're in a more positive place and, you know, when they don't have words, <coughs> I want to slow my pace down. So how do I come alongside emotion in the whole, the bandwidth in which it presents ourselves instead of just getting tunnel vision and really finding it ourselves in just a limited way? So really I don't like Go ahead. I really like how you said that. I noticed, you know, like you said, therapists have a hard time balancing the energy. And, and sometimes you see this with your clients. It's like you have clients that either have, you know, high escalation, a lot of emotional energy, or they're completely flat and they have no energy. And you're like, okay, what do I do with that? <laughs> either, either a lot of energy can be very They're usually married to each other, right? Yeah, Somebody's yeah. over-functioning with their emotion and other people are under-functioning with their emotion. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely right. And, and I think, you know, as you said, kind of matching, and, and I noticed this too, I kind of did this experiment myself. I got really angry over, I can't remember what it was, but really angry the other day. And I thought, I kind of did this little EFT self of the therapist thing. And I thought, what would be really helpful for me in my anger right now? And I thought, if I had a therapist come in at me and have that, oh, tell me a little bit more about that, or you must be really hurt underneath, that I would feel more pissed off. You know, it's 
what I needed in that moment most was somebody to come to my anger and say, you know what, you have a really good reason to be angry. Like your anger is justified. And I think therapists get confused between angry, the anger, the emotion and angry behavior. We're not justifying angry behavior. It's the angry emotion. And that's one of those emotions that can be very intimidating for a therapist. But I really love how you talk about matching that energy now, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think I've heard a lot of therapists express some fear that if they match the energy or the spirit of how the client is coming off, that they're going to add more fuel to the fire rather than diffuse it. Right. I mean, certainly when, if we're going to talk about anger, safety, the EFT is all based on safety. So if, if, if somebody's anger is crossing over a line, we have to intervene as that stronger, wiser other and take control of the session. So that's anger in one extreme. But I think because of that fear of how anger can create a lack of safety, most of us are afraid to approach it at all. And that just means then we're going to the other extreme of really not honoring the function of what this emotion is doing in the moment. So if, if, if I'm working with you and you're, you're in a fight with your husband and you come into the session saying, you know what? He did it again. He's such a jerk last week. He said he wouldn't and he did it. Can you believe me, George? You know, I'm not going to match your energy by saying, yeah, Annabelle, he's a jerk. I can't believe he did it. Right? The, the idea is to kind of just honor what the person's saying and try to bring them down. So for me to say, wow, Annabelle, that must be tough. Because you said last week how important it was to do it differently. You're saying George did exactly the same thing again, right? No wonder why you're frustrated. But I'm allowing myself to just get curious. I mean, that is the driving emotion of the EFT therapist. I'm trying to be open. What is the emotional signal my client is showing me right in this moment? I want to be curious. I don't really, I'm not sure what it means. They're not sure what it means. The only way we're going to come alongside I always go back to Coco. I do this in my trainings and people laugh at Coco Puffs, but it just reminds me of what I'm trying to do in a moment. I'm trying to co-regulate affect and co-create meaning. That's really what I'm trying to do to unpack experience. So my energy levels have to be close to match that affect. Mm -hmm. And I have to stay open and curious to try to make meaning. You're mad. I trust you have good reasons, but I'm not really sure what those are. Let's open up some space together and do that. So I think most therapists are really good at it in EFT with primary emotion. Right? Yeah. The process slows down. People are a little bit quieter. They're more vulnerable. There's more sadness and fear. The therapist feels more like they're doing a good job. The partner might be more open to responding. It feels safer. Step three in EFT is about access and primary emotion. Training tapes are all showing primary emotion. So I think it's, it's created this misnomer that secondary is just an annoyance that you just got to put up with to get to the really good stuff. Yeah, and most hurry up and get through it. Yeah, just bypass it. They actually pay it lip service. It's like your anger makes sense, but let's get to the good stuff. Yes. When really they don't understand the, the client's anger at all. And what, I, what I'm saying is even if you bypass that secondary, it winds up showing up again at home when the client doesn't have mm -hmm. any help. If you don't really understand your own anger, it's, it's hard to have a new conversations around it. That's really important. So I want to I want to lean in right there. And real quickly, before we lean in, when we talk about co-regulating and you know um, helping to make meaning, the word 
the use of the word co is kind of like help. We're helping them to regulate, helping them to make meaning, but they're not doing it alone. And so you talk about, you know, meeting them in, and we're not talking about, this, this is where I think a lot of therapists get confused, is when we're talking about meeting them in the place where their emotion is at, take, tuning into that signal. And you're not saying, I'm not going to charge in if they're screaming, I'm not going to charge in and match the screaming. So we're not saying I'm going to match the tone um, or the veracity, but I might match the energy or spirit where I may give as a, a exactly. similar urgency to my voice, but not, not that as grandiose. And it feels like, okay, somebody gets it. Like they get that I'm angry and they're not telling me I'm wrong for being angry. And you talk a lot about what the emotion is trying to do. And that leads back to what you said something earlier was functionality. And this is something that I think is pretty brilliant. I love this, this discussion that you have. Can you talk a little bit more about the function? Because we have a lot of clients that come in that swear they have no emotions, they have no needs, but we know they're human. We know that they do. And I think that functional approach is a is a good way to roll it out to them but can you help us understand that sure and we every emotion has a purpose and really what we're trying to do is honor that purpose i think a lot of us really want to get right to the cost and, and point out how it doesn't work and that that's also an important part of the the process but to me that's step two trying to get people to see how it doesn't work for them that good Irish saying, everybody focuses on the, the drinking and not the thirst, right? What we're trying to do in this model is get curious about what, what motivates the drink, what motivates the anger, the fear, what is, what is the body trying to do? So let's take anger for, a, for a, a couple of minutes. A lot of people want to point out immediately, can't you see how the anger is not working for your partner? Can't you try to say it differently? You're already preaching to the choir. This person who's angry knows they want to do it differently, yet they keep finding themselves back in this place. What is it about their anger that they don't even understand themselves? How do you, how do you get curious about what it's trying to do? For a lot of people, anger is their hope that they're going to be heard, that their partner might do something differently, that they have a sense of control, that they have the... They, they have a voice. They're going to be seen. I mean, anger is doing, it, they, it's empowering. It gives people direction. I mean, there's so many cool things that anger do for, does for people. And if we just immediately take it away, where are we actually leaving people? That's right. And we're kind of stripping away their defense in that moment, which Sue says in the model, we don't want to strip their defenses away. We want to hand them to them. Exactly. What a great line. Unless you have something to replace that anger with, you don't want to take it away from them. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get healthier ways of, of get, asking for our needs to be met. Right. So, and I think this is, this is important too, because when we see someone come in and they're charged up and they're really angry or they're really pissed at their spouse, we tend to feel threatened or we, we kind of feel the threat on behalf of their spouse and we want to protect their spouse. So right. we see that angry person as a threat, not somebody who is feeling threatened. And that's an important distinction because, as you're saying, that anger is there for an important reason. It's serving a function. And if we can remember <clears throat> that it's there for a reason, then we, it helps us create a doorway to get more curious rather than triggered. Precisely. The big leap 
in Sue's new book, she talks a lot about Magda Arnold's assembling emotion. And I really think that's helpful to really unpack what's happening in a moment. So she's really looking at what is the trigger? Let's make this alive in the room now. As you kind of replay the trigger, your body gets activated again. What immediately is the bodily sensation when that quick appraisal, that fight or flight response to the trigger? And then comes the meaning making, right? How do you make sense of that bodily arousal? And then what's the action tendency? So right there in a, in a half a second or one-tenth of a second, you got four elements of emotion that you're trying to assemble so people can get clearer about what their truth is. The this is often jump- why they say they don't know is because all you just said is four things happening in a tenth of a, sec- a second. Of course, they've never slowed it down to figure it out on this level. And that's part of what we're doing. And that one-tenth of a second triggers the same exactly in their partner. Their partner responds, and it comes right back at them. And it is moving so fast, they really don't know. They're not making a choice. I think that was my biggest – when I was a new therapist, I thought people were making choices. And I really didn't recognize that it moved so fast that they were getting caught up in something that they, did, they had no idea really what they were getting caught into. Mm-hmm. And you can help them understand that, and that's helpful. But the key is getting them to do it differently. That's why EFT is a behavioral change model. It's really trying, everything's working towards creating a new experience. But for me, the biggest jump is when somebody gets triggered. If you yell at me and criticize me and I feel like I'm failing, how do I go from feeling like a failure to going away? Or if I go away and that makes you feel unwanted, unlovable, abandoned, how does that turn to anger? How do people make that jump from a primary trigger to a secondary action tendency? When I ask most therapists this question, they don't have an answer. And I think that's pretty important. How do I go from scared and vulnerable to protecting myself? How do we empower people to really understand their moves in a way that they could directly express that? That's really important. I think that's really amazing. And you know, anger is one of those emotions that is just can be very triggering for therapists. And I've heard a lot of therapists talk about their triggers and how they might start to protect one client. And it comes back to, you know, we, we kind of fall out of that empathy window and don't see that this person is fighting really hard. The function of their anger is to fight hard to get something very important through. And oftentimes until it gets through, they're going to stay angry right? Because they're really trying to get heard. And the less they feel heard, the more angry they get. Well, what's the other alternative? If they don't speak up to be heard, where are they going to be? That's right. That's right. They're left in, in, in that rejected place where their partner is walking away. Mm-hmm. So that anger makes them feel like they could get a response to that place. That anger is actually their hope. It gets them away from their own pain which is adaptive. And, it, and by the way, it also might get their partner to do something differently, which would be helpful for their pain. So going towards the anger is a big pull because staying without the anger in the silence is actually a lot worse scenario for them. That's right. It feels like they're kind of backed into a corner in a lose-lose situation. If I say nothing, then nothing happens. I don't get a solution to my pain, but at least even if it's I get worse than that. It's worse than that. If I say nothing, not only will I be left alone in my pain, I'm going to turn on myself in my pain. 
Really? Where this shame's going to kick in. What's wrong with me? Why did I say that then? That was stupid. I know better. That anger then is going to get directed inwardly. So if I had a choice between sitting in silence and not liking myself or getting angry at my partner, maybe my partner will do something differently. The anger is a much easier choice to make. Mm. Mm. Right? So how do we help these, these pushers, these pursuers in this case, or the angry critical person really see what their criticism is trying to do, what the yeah. anger is trying to do. Because it's, once not, they understand- it's not only pursuers, as you mentioned, who get angry. I've had some withdrawers that get pretty hostile as they're trying to back away and they're like snapping, you know, and it's, whoa, even as you try to get close, you just feel that sharp edge. Yeah, we all get angry. Usually the function of the anger is different. A pursuer is trying to actually what they're asking for is help in their anger and criticism. And it's hard for withdrawers to believe that, but their anxiety is actually saying, if you would just do this the way I said, I wouldn't be feeling this way. Can you help me? Yes. Withdrawers are usually using anger in a different way. They're not trying to kind of bridge distance. They're trying to create distance. So their anger is just saying, this is too much, you know, just get away from me. Right, because yeah. they're looking to self-soothe. But I, I love your curiosity there. Saying, you know, what is it? How do people go from I'm failing to withdrawing? What does the withdrawing do for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How it, can that make things better by going away? So how do you that, answer that? What? It, how does withdrawal make sense? Right, and I love how you said it's that self-soothing and that need to cr- that desire to create space. That's what I hear most often with my withdrawers is they're trying to push away. Because it does, it feels overwhelming. It feels like too much. And they're trying to get to their safe zone where they're not being attacked. They're not being criticized. And they can start to self-soothe again. Yeah. So there's hope for the withdrawer in getting away from the reactivity, finding the safety and control where you could kind of reset. You could go through the whole process and try to analyze it in a safer way. You know, staying in the midst of all that overwhelming emotion, only bad things are going to happen. So that pull towards withdrawal is so strong in them, just like the pull towards wanting to be heard is so strong in a pursuer. And that those action tendencies just become a feedback loop, mm-hmm. right? So I really want therapists to stay longer in the secondary emotion, trying to organize that and help people make sense of it. I know a couple is de-escalated when not only do they know their secondary emotion, they understand their partner's secondary emotion. And the way I would test that is through an enactment. So you're the pursuer, I'm the withdrawer. Okay. You, you understand the cycle. You, you get activated. You come want to talk. I feel helpless, I go away, we fall into our cycle. The therapist says that over and over, both of us agree. Well, the real test is going to be, can you, Annabelle, tell me, George, that my withdrawal makes sense? The very thing that you hate the most, that is so painful, if you really understand my move, can you tell me in an enactment that my withdrawal makes sense? When you're walking in my shoes, and that's just my way of self-regulating. It's not that I don't care. It's just how I protect myself. I do this if I wasn't with you or I was with you. This is my move. Can you take it that less personal and actually say that? Yeah. Most couples can't do it because they'll look at their partner in the eyes and say, the thing that you do that hurts me the most makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee you if, if they can do that, they're de-escalated. They really understand their cycle. 
So if I could look at you and say, Annabelle, I don't like when you come at me with that strong energy, with that criticism, right? But it really does make sense that your anger is your hope that I'm going to hear you and things are going to change. And if you didn't have that anger and you were left alone in that silence, that would actually be a much worse place to be. Mm -hmm. So I get that. What do you think that would be like for you to hear? That would feel really good. Right? We, We understand each other's moves. That's right. That's right. So but that's really felt sense to that. So yes. that's why the enactment is so important. If you tell the person their moves make sense, you have a felt sense of that safety that you're creating. So let's lean into that a little bit more because I've seen um, I've seen this come up a lot. Is you'll have clients that can cognitively discuss the emotions in the cycle and in session and the therapists are kind of getting caught up in this like they understand it mentally and they can identify like the socially acceptable emotions that should go along with this but you know that they're not really feeling it and they're not de-escalating can you talk a little bit more about that i mean we're all guilty of that we we sometimes find ourselves talking about emotion and problem solving And we're really talking about when emotion happens in the future or when emotion has happened in the past, but we're really not in the present motion. So that's, it really is about what's coming up for them now. That's why triggers, to me, the key to this model is the triggers, right? You need a a trigger to make something come alive. You actually have to unlock the synapses in which these things are stored. Otherwise, you're just just engaging on a cognitive level, and it makes sense, and people nod their heads, but nothing's going to change. We're trying to open up those synapses so the emotion comes alive again. It comes, the body is aroused. You know, that, that those same four components of emotion are now ready to be assembled and to be choreographed in a very different way. What I'm hoping is to change those action tendencies, right? So if I have that trigger and the way I make sense of it is, uh-oh, you don't want me, and I'm immediately going to that anger to try to fight a flight response to change the outcome, how do we slow down that process that I start to recognize that in that moment of trying to change, get a response, I'm starting to recognize that actually is pushing you further away. And what's more important is how do I stay with the core of the fear so I can reach towards you in a way you come closer towards me, right? People, you can talk to them about it all you want, but they actually have to experience doing it differently. And that can present a challenge when you have couples that come in and they say something like, Well, yeah, that's what it was like during the week, but we're not in it right now. So it doesn't feel real. Right. So again, (laughs) let's role play that. Right. It doesn't feel real. So what's that like that, you know, you get these chances during the week to practice, but right now you don't. Hmm. I trust the process. If I'm just being present, yeah, that's pretty frustrated and annoying. Right. So right. Even right now, you're, you're frustrated and annoyed, right? It doesn't seem like this kind of is going to work. What's that like for you if it doesn't work, if things stay the way they are, right? I trust their emotions. What is an emotion? An emotion is just a signal. It's just telling your body, pay attention. Something's happening for better or worse, right? So the reason this person brought up that example of, yeah, we, it's not alive now. Last week it was alive is because they want to do something now. Yeah, but they're not able to do something now. So what's the emotion when you're not doing what you want to do? It's almost that sense of 
you know, it's, we're not in it right now. It's like, I don't want to rock the boat. You know, we finally got to a good place and I don't want to rock the boat. So I want to tell you about this painful moment that we had, but I don't really want to stir it up because I don't want us to. And I I do find a lot of clients that say that, you know, we get so stirred up as we walk out of here and the therapists feel this, this sense of like guilt or threat towards them. Like, oh shoot, I need to help them have smiles as they walk out my door. Cause if they feel terrible, come back. So good that you can get them to put words to Mm -hmm. not want to stir it up, right? That's the live emotion. What they're saying is they want to focus on last week and focus on the successes that they have because they really want to create a calmness because they don't want to leave session like they did last week. That's fear, Mm -hmm. right? That's what they're feeling in the moment. How do I get them to put words to what they're, how do I honor that? And actually say, look how brilliant your strategy is. You're, You're trying to sit here and keep it safe so you don't bring up something that might make things worse. I mean, do you do this a lot where you're always trying to manage and you're always trying to kind of stop things from escalating? I mean, look at the scanning of that is. And, and so often I find clients are, they're focused on their partner and not wanting to trigger their partner. And when your focus is external, you're really not aware of your emotional experience. So to ask somebody about that when their focus isn't on them, you're not really going to get any answers. That's right. And then when a therapist doesn't get answers, they get more anxious, they push more, and that person gets more and more defended because now they know they're upsetting you. And they're just trying to go through the quick, what am I supposed to say to make this person happy? They're not really engaging in a curious way with their own inner world. That's right. That's right. And I find... Two, with those clients, you know, I'm able to have them enact that sense of fear, that sense of I don't want to stir the pot. And as you said, you know, the strategy, bringing out, hey, this is a strategy that you're using. And oftentimes I find when couples first figure out the cycle, some of them will go into this place where they're just not saying anything because they don't want to create the cycle. And that's the opposite of what we want to create. We don't want them to, to stop talking and not accomplish anything because they're trying to get away from those big emotions or things falling into disconnection. That's not a successful long-term strategy either. Well, it is if we make that explicit, right? If we help them make explicit their moves. To me, this model is all about blocks. It's all about what stops this natural process of seeing each other and responding to each other. What you're saying is a great block. Like I'm afraid that this thing's going to escalate, but I can't talk to you about my fear because that's only going to lead to escalation. I'm not even aware of my own fear. All I know is that if somehow I keep the temperature low, things are not going to explode. So if you lean into that, that the function of that block, like why is this person now not going in the direction I want them to go? I want them to go into their emotions. I want them to go deeper. I want them to share with their partner. And basically what they're saying is I don't want to do that. So that's the block. The block emer- the block's going to really show us the direction that the process needs to go if we just trust the blocks and we're able to lean into them and catch that. So you could try to push somebody who doesn't want to talk, or you could get curious about the good reasons they don't want to talk. That's right. That's right. And that's, that's the important part is helping therapists to recognize when your clients figure out the cycle and they start trying to 
oh, I'm just, you know, stop saying as much or I'm not as critical because I don't want to set off my partner, you know, call that out onto the carpet. I, I always say call it out on the carpet like we're in show and tell. You want everything out in the middle of the room for everyone to see and talk about and make sense. And, you know, because the real secure strategy would be we can see each other, we don't have to hide, we don't have to shut down, we can be open. And if we're shutting down because we don't want to trigger our partner, that doesn't, long term, isn't going to create a good strategy either. But bringing that out and making that explicit, as you're saying, is this is a new strategy, let's talk about this and see that as a block. And I think sometimes therapists don't recognize the blocks as they're coming up. And some clients are very crafty in the way they throw blocks out at you. And it feels like they just kind of Houdini'd you and and like they just did a Jedi mind trick. And you're like, wait, how did we get there? (laughs) I would trust. And this is the big part of what I'm trying to do in my trainings. I'm really trying to change relationships, a therapist relationships to blocks. Most of the time when they come for us in session, it's bad timing. And the therapist sees them as resistance or something bad. And then they try to work around them or talk them out of it. They don't recognize that that mistrust showing itself in that moment is precisely where this couple or that individual needs to go. The block is gold. The block is the very thing stopping couples from having the safety and security that they need. But this process is riddled with blocks. If I'm trying to work with you, you're not going to want to let me come close to you. Right, because you you have a lot of mistrust for good reasons, and even if I get past that block and we get into a place of attunement, you're not going to want to go deeper because your body hasn't had great experience with vulnerability. And even if I work through that block, then I'm going to try to get you to share it with your partner. You're going to be blocked there. You're not going to want to share it with your partner. I work through that. I get you. I slice it thinner. I finally get you to take that risk. Then your partner's blocked and doesn't know how to respond because they don't trust it. Right? And then I work with that block. I get them to respond. Then you don't trust the response that your partner gave you. So these, these mistrusts are throughout the process. The more as therapists, we can say, here it comes. Another block. Of course, how could you not? And we honor the blocks. We make them explicit, exactly like you're saying. Now these, these clients have much more of a choice to say, I get why I'm trying to do that. Wait a second. But I, that might not lead me where I want to go. And they have power over working through their blocks. Yeah. If we just bypass them, and I used to do this all the time as a new therapist, I'd get you into vulnerability and you'd share, and then that would be the bullet, right? The partner wouldn't trust it. And I would basically shame the person and say, I don't, I, I don't think you get what Annabelle just did. For the first time ever, she's sharing her vulnerable place and you're not responding. Bad job. Let's try this again. And this time I'm going to help you respond. And that feels good if I can get them respond and you feel better. But all I've done is bypass this block. That part of your partner that didn't trust it, that's really important stuff. How do we start seeing these blocks as where the work needs to go? I love when you said that. This guy goes intellectual. And before you know it, I find myself lost. And he just exits the process. And I want to, you know, Get curious about the function of that exit. How did that just work? Yeah. I had a guy, just a session before you, where I was trying to withdraw. I was trying to get him focused on his emotions, and he don't want to focus on his emotions. And I'm very explicit about that. I get you don't want to. You haven't had success. We need to tolerate, blah, blah, blah. I finally get him into a place where he starts talking about how helpless he feels. And all of a sudden, he goes, 
you know what? I got to go to the bathroom. I swear to you, I'm going to, I'm going to pee my pants if I don't go to the bathroom. And I'm like, no problem. Get up. Bathroom's right there. There he goes. Right. But that wasn't him trying to be difficult. That was his body just tolerating what he can tolerate. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we honor that, he came back and I was like, "Woo, that was good time and going to the bathroom. I mean, that really turned down the emotion. You're so good at turning down the emotion. Because that's what's safe for you. So I so appreciate how you were able to do that. Years just, ago, I would have seen that as, you know, this guy's crazy. Like, what is wrong with this guy? He just don't want to do emotions. And I would, have got, I would have got annoyed and frustrated by that. That's right. That's right. So you're saying a couple of things that are really important. I love that EFT has this theory of resistance that I think just, you know, EFTers are masters of empathy. And I think that's what EFT's model teaches us by looking at the blocks. When a block comes up, EFT teaches us what does that say? It's information. Right. Other models would say they're resistant. They're being difficult. They're digging in. They're in pre-contemplation. Oh, get that out of here. (laughs) You know, because all that does is just, you know, dismisses their human experience. Right. They're giving you vital information where other other models, you'd see that as resistance and you'd get stuck there and you'd kind of be in like this power struggle. Why doesn't the client change rather than recognizing, okay, they're bringing something to my door that I need to work with. Let's figure out how to work with it. This block is here for a good reason. And in EFT, resistance is all about, we're asking the client to do something they're not ready to do. You know, we might be asking them to bite off a chunk that's too big So we slice it thinner and we may have to cut it down till it's just a little crumb. But if that's all that's edible for them, then that's okay. And that's information. And we got to attune to them. I think this is too with other models. They don't teach attunement like EFT. Instead, they, they get quick to push the client towards you need to be in this spot. And this is what change should look like rather than meeting them where they're at and recognizing if, if you can't, take off this big, bite off this big piece and I need to cut it down, slice it thinner till all I have is a little sliver, a little crumb, that's okay. And we're going to work with that. And if we work with that and give it permission, it'll be easier for it to go. But I like, too, you said something else about, you know, when some of our clients... Sure. Can you hold on to part two of that? Yes. The, because I want to highlight what you're saying. It, it, for me, it's even more important than just slicing it to what they can tolerate. It's in being able to tolerate it, they have an experience of success in areas they normally never have success. That is what's crucial. If I can't respond to you because I don't trust it, and you really honor my mistrust, and you get me to share that, and I'm able to say, I really wish I could respond to you, but it's so hard for me because I just don't know what to do, and I'm not really sure what to do. And you get that? All of a sudden, I've had experience with my, I've had success sharing my mistrust. We're trying to empower people to understand the good reasons they don't have a capacity or they can't take the risks. You know, when you give them that permission, they start to have success with their own blocks. They have more choices over it. Do I want to lower them or not? So I love what you're saying. And it's so important to this work. If we bypass all of that stuff, we send couples home and those blocks just reemerge. And a lot of models are good at this. They work around the blocks. You know, we coach people into their vulnerability and they respond to each other's vulnerability. And that creates a safety and security. And that's really nice. But if we've done that through going around the blocks, those blocks usually emerge outside of session. EFT is so special because we work through blocks. 
We're looking for opportunities for them to show themselves in the live process and we work through them. That's right. And I think so some therapists- really good. Yeah, thank you. I think some therapists struggle with recognizing what's presented to them as a block and going cognitive is one of those strategies. And I have a couple clients that have ADHD and this, this just reminds me too, at the summit we had um, a presenter who talked about uh, attachment therapies for anxiety and how, you know, people with anxiety will often use rapid thoughts as a way to avoid their emotions, right? And so if you use like CBT, you're just enabling the process. And so helping them go into their emotions is important. And you see this in session where you'll try to get somebody who's not used to going into their emotions to start talking about it. And you'll get them there for like two seconds. And then all of a sudden, they'll notice like the clock on your wall or they'll, oh, I'm sorry, I just like, dinged my pants or you know they'll, they'll just quickly change session like ooh, a shiny object over here you know and they run away and that is information you know their inability to stay where you want them to stay is a signal right and rather than getting anxious as, as the therapist and trying to push them into hey not knucklehead get back here and do what i want you to do you know it's like okay something's going on here, right? He just exited or she just exited. What's going on? Like, this is a block. This information yeah. something hard. And we can stay in that empathy window and, and get curious about and say, okay, what just happened right here? I noticed as you talked about your emotion, you quickly went away. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to put too much pressure on therapists. I mean, when we're on top of our game, that's what we do. We lean into the blocks. But there are a lot of times where the blocks are just bad timing. You know, we're going to go into lecture mode, give advice. I mean, we, we don't have to get be perfect here. These blocks are going to keep showing themselves. You know, I always go back to if I attune 33% of the time, I am going to have a secure attachment. I'm going to be that stronger, wiser other. So I don't want to have this pressure like this stuff's easy. And you got to, when that block comes, you better run for it and kind of lean into it. Right. You know, maybe you're trying to do something else and your focus is different. There's, there's, there's lots of reasons, but I want therapists to be more tactical to say, all right, that block came. What is my focus in this moment? Was I trying to work with you when your partner jumped in with his block? Do I want to switch gears and transitions to that block? What am I going to do with you when I leave? You know, what is the goal of getting that block? What do I want this person to do back? So there's lots of choices that the therapist needs to do around this. And I find a lot of us are just winging it. We're just kind of going with the flow. We're chasing the couple and we're chasing their triggers and we're trying to kind of talk about it, but we're not really making the process come alive in the moment. Right, Does right. I love that, the tactical approach. And I, and I think by recognizing the blocks as they come up and giving permission for even yourself, the therapist, to just slow down and recognize this is information, it's data that's, that's being presented to you, it takes more pressure off of you to try to force them into the path that you were trying. Hey, I just worked so hard to get you to share emotions and now I got you there and you're leaving. What the heck? Come back here. You know, it takes off some of that pressure. It says, okay. We're just going to take it slow for a second and, and figure out what's going on. And, and it, it really can be such a relief, but I think sometimes therapists can struggle to see what's happening alive in the room as it's being presented to you. Because again, some people are really witty, especially if they, you're, you're trying to get them to talk about emotions, but in 
being alive in the emotion, but then they switch to cognitively processing their emotions and it can feel very like, okay, what just happened? Like we've got emotions here, but I, I don't think we're talking about them in the right way. And I don't know how that shift just happened. So, <laughs> you know. And if you're curious about that intellectual person, whenever emotions start to get a little bit, they start to increase the safe places to go cognitive. So they're just doing what they do with emotions. They're yeah. not trying to be difficult to the therapist. This is just how they've learned to manage emotions, yeah. right? So if you could get them to see that and say, look at that. I, I noticed you rubbing your hands, that there was something about this that felt a little bit different. And then you went right into that place where you started to talk about that book where you read something similar, right? So is that, does that feel safe when you go into your thoughts? Do you help them see their move as it's emerging. That is so incredibly empowering than just trying to kind of tell somebody that their defenses are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like that. And um, I just kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, so What's we the were, function of that, Annabelle? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. About <laughs> you losing your train of thought. We could get I know, right? Oh, it means something. No, I really like the tactical approach to the blocks. And you mentioned something in one of your trainings about when clients go cognitive, they are over-regulating their emotions and when they kind of flood out, they're under-regulating their emotions. I thought that was very really clear way to understand that, that when a client starts to go super cognitive, they're really working hard to shut down those emotions. That's, that was really powerful. Yeah, if you look at people who are trying to turn down emotion, they're good at compartmentalizing, they're good at placating, they're good at focusing on the other person. All these strategies are really not looking within themselves. And then therapists get frustrated because they don't have words for their feelings. Well, this is just the script that they were handed. Mm -hmm. the, you know, so if I'm working with somebody who turns down emotions, I know I'm going to have to supply some emotions. I'm going to have to turn up my emotion a little bit to kind of, I have to be explicit about my process. Tell them, how could you know? Nobody really talks this way. You never got help. You're not, it's okay not to know the answers. You know, I want to, conjectures are huge with people who don't have, because they don't, I mean, it's kind of like a kid. If a kid falls down and hurts himself, you know, an attuned parent goes, oh, they match the affect, that must hurt so much. Oh, yeah, well, that hurts. They're helping that child make meaning of their sadness, make meaning of their hurt, to feel safe expressing it, right? That's Coco at play. That's what people do all over the world. And if you don't get that, you really just don't know those feelings still happen, but you don't really kind of know those feelings. If your dad says, stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Well, you're still going to feel sad, but you don't really know your sadness. You don't know how to communicate your sadness. So if you're working with somebody like that who could be feeling sad, but doesn't have words for the sadness, and you ask them what they feel, they're going to look at you like, I don't know. I don't know. So when I hear somebody saying, I don't know, I'm like, yes. Look at that, trying to put words in something that's new. They're not trying to be difficult. They are actually being with me. They just don't know. They're really asking for help. They need my help. And that's why conjectures, we're offering them tentatively, but we're, you know, and they're, the beauty of a conjecture is like an enactment. If the client goes with it, you get more. If they correct you, you get more. As long as you go with where they go, you're always going to get more with a conjecture. That's right. You can't. So if you say, I don't know. I'd be like, wow, Annabelle, 
You know, I know you're usually good at knowing things. All other areas of your life, you're an expert at knowing things. And yet here you are, you're saying with your husband, when he makes that face, you don't know what to do. Wow. I imagine that must be hard. There's my conjecture. Right? You wouldn't have given that word if I would have just said, wow. So what's that like for you? You probably would have been like, I don't know. Right? So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lend you my nervous system. I'm trying to lend you my words. And I'm going to do that in a flexible way. Because a lot of us with, with drawers, we don't want to get it wrong. So we sit back and we just ask them questions. If you're asking somebody a question that they don't have the answer to, they're not going to want to engage. Hmm. That's really important. Now, along those lines, if you can maybe give us a little bit of insight. So we have kind of this demographic of clients that come in that are very shut down with their emotions. They really swear that they have no emotions. And we know that's not true, but they really, this emotional stuff is not for me. I don't have emotions. I don't have needs. How can we come to, because I know if we try to tell them, yeah, because you're human, you do, they, they might tend to get defensive and push you away a little bit. Um, can you help us understand the mind or the heart of those kinds of clients? It's, you're talking the extreme. I worked with a Navy SEAL who told me, George, I know a lot of people say they don't do emotions. I just want to let you know, I don't have any emotions. So I want to honor that. That's just like an angry outburst or avoid. I mean, they're just, this person has learned to function that way. If, if they would have had emotions, they probably wouldn't be where they are. So how do I get curious about meeting them in their head and getting them so right? So even right now you're saying, I don't do emotions. And you know, how do you think your, your wife or your partner hears you saying you don't have emotions? Like you're trying to make room for yourself and say, hey, is it okay to live in this world without emotions? Because it's not something I'm skilled at and, and something I'm, I'm okay not having, right? And how do you think that lands for your partner? And you're just trying to kind of use your interventions to start opening up some space for this person to say, you know what? Yeah, it's kind of frustrating. It's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of difficult. It's kind of challenging. You know, I'm just trying to get little footholds that that's emotion. This person doesn't need to say their emotion, but to say something's hard, I can see them looking up. I can see them trying to figure it out. I can be like, even right now, I can see how hard those wheels are spinning. You're trying to come up with an answer. What would happen if you don't come up with an answer? And you'll see them go, oh, no, I got to come up with an answer. What is that? That's emotion driving that. If they don't come up with an answer, that's going to create more anxiety. They just don't have words for it. So it's really about kind of, you know, they have emotion. Mm-hmm. You're just a translator. You're trying to translate their own signals to them. Not mm-hmm. only their partner, most of the time we're racing to get to the partner. But you're literally trying to help these people who have not had cocoa in their lives to translate what is happening in the moment. Because if your focus is outside of you, if your focus is this client is saying, what do you want as a therapist? And what does my partner want to hear? And that's what I'm focused on. And I'm not focusing on myself. Even as a therapist, I see them trying to anticipate and trying to give answers. That's emotion that's driving that. They're wanting to get it right. What's the emotion that comes with that? They're not able to get it right. What's the emotion that comes to that? 
Yeah. But most therapists want to go too fast to, that must be lonely. That must be like you're a failure. I mean, these are two big emotions, right? So we want to start off with, wow, that must be challenging. And you know, well, you don't know. You're good at knowing that must be hard. These are like simpler words that it's easier for a person to say, yeah, it is hard. And now all of a sudden you start getting some alliance. You start getting some attunement with them. Yeah. But if they get you something, they're having success with their emotions. That's really the key. I'm always reminding myself of the mission. People don't do vulnerability because it hasn't worked well in their life when they felt that way. And yeah. they develop strategies to protect themselves. The solution isn't explain that all to them, although that could be helpful. The solution is them having success in those places they haven't. Right. So this guy, if he leaves my session feeling like, you know what, George really tried to help me find some words. And you know what? It, it is hard sometimes. And I don't have words for that. That's a huge session. Yeah. So it's really like, we know there's plasticity. So a client may come in with claiming their emotional threshold is like the size of a people. And we're going to end up stretching that open very slowly till it's a big window, but it's going to be very, very, very slow. And I like how you're saying, you know, we know they have emotions, but we don't really need to get into a power struggle with them over the words, over saying, oh, lonely or this or that, because those will be too far outside of their window right now. Things that, that won't reach them, won't attune to them. So, you know, we may know that they're maybe a more cognitive spin on emotions, but it's a foothold, as you said, and the foothold is something. They over rely on the meaning making and they've cut off the, the bodily arousal. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Meet them in their heads. Kind of join them there. They're not, they wouldn't be trying to think and make meaning if there wasn't something underneath. So yeah. it's, just gonna, it's just a patience and increasing their tolerance and capacity to just start trying to listen to that. And usually at the end of the day, they know they don't want to lose their partner. They do have a sense of love. They were able to fall in love with their partner in the first place. So we know there's something buried deep in there, like buried treasure. We just have to it, go it on. A, it is an emotion that caused them to get into this relationship. So to say they don't have emotions is just, you know, that's their truth. And you want to honor that truth. But as a therapist, I'm trying to stretch that because I know there's a greater truth than what they're recognizing. Yes, yes. So before, before we close for today, there's one last little bit that I thought of that might be important. And this is one part of therapists that are withdrawers that become EFT therapists and really struggle with emotions. And this isn't just anger. This is also like deep sadness when the clients start to kind of emotionally bleed out all over, all over the place. And they've got sadness, they've got tears, lots of pain. Can you talk more about what gets triggered inside of maybe a withdrawing therapist when emotion comes alive in the room. Right. I mean, I give people, I give therapists the most amazing amount of credit that especially when you don't have success or secure attachment, you're trying to give people something that you haven't received yourself. I mean, that, if that's not love, I don't know what is. So if you didn't grow up in a family that did sadness, if you always left alone in your sadness, if you learned to self-soothe and to go to these strategies of going cognitive to kind of deal with your sadness, then wouldn't it make sense that when other people's sadness gets triggered, that starts to come up for you? That's so human. And then therapists feel like they're failing and beat themselves up more, which just reinforces 
you know, those, those action tendencies. So I find really as a supervisor, trying to honor why therapists struggle in certain areas is really important to get them to see their action tendency, what they do and how that has kept them alive and to appreciate that. And then to try to help them lean in a, in a different direction. Right. And to do that, they have to really explore parts of themselves that usually get hidden. Yeah. What is empathy for me to feel with you? I have to be willing to feel it too. Mm-hmm. If I've dealt with my own sadness by hiding it, if I want to be with your sadness, that's a problem for me. So the cure is that therapist has to actually open up space for their own sadness. Mm. That's so, that's so powerful. And that really touches me too, because I've, started on my supervisor training and I've seen this come alive for quite a few of my um, supervisees or even in the trainings, you know, you have people who are like, I don't do emotion very well. And it's always been a struggle when my clients start to show lots of tears. I don't know how to come to their sadness. I I don't know how to provide comfort or what's appropriate or what to do with this. Yeah. If sadness means in your own personal life, you're in trouble. If sadness, someone else's sadness means you're doing a bad job, that's what your body knows. And then you see a client's sadness and all of a sudden it's, it's hard to leave. That, that's not you being a bad therapist. That just means you're a human being. Mm-hmm. And you need a supervisor and colleagues that come alongside you and say, it's okay. The good news is you can learn how to do that. Yeah, it sounds so soothing. As you say, it means you're a human being. I just feel myself take this deep, soothing breath. And it's like, that's why we love EFT, because it gives you permission to be human. You know, we're all in this mess together. That's right. If you're able to honor your supervisees who talk about it. I mean, I that breaks my heart that people learning this model who struggle because they have good reasons to struggle given their own family of origin stuff. And then because of that struggle, they think they can't do this model or there's just something wrong with them. When no, they just haven't had the help that they needed. The good news is it's never too late with that neuroplasticity. It's never too late to have success in these places. And if that supervisee who doesn't do sadness actually can do sadness in her personal life or his personal life and have success, it is so much easier than to do that with your clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Well, George, you're amazing. I think everybody who sees your videos or attends your trainings knows that. So tell us where, so you have some books coming out or you have some books that are already out. You have some trainings. Can you tell us more about what kind of training materials and books you offer? Yeah, we have exciting. We're coming out of a couple months, the first family book. It was delayed. It was supposed to come out last year, but that's with a great team and Jim Furrow and Lisa and Gail and Sue and myself. And I think that's really going to revitalize the field of family therapy. Most people don't want to do families because they don't know how to keep a focus. So I think this is really going to help. Um, you know, my book, Sacred Stress, True Connection, just all similar, just really trying to help people get better at connecting. But if people want more information, I'm redoing my website now, georgefowler.com. It will have my trainings listed and different resources. But it's an exciting time for EFT. I mean, this world needs it now more than ever before. We're more polarized and reactive and isolated and lonely. And we have this beautiful model that bridges truths and helps people come together. So, you know... As many people that can join us on this mission, we're, we're, we need the help. Yeah, that's excellent. And now if folks would like to maybe contact you and see if you have availability to come to, your, to come to their area and do a training, you'd be open to that. 
yes, a crazy schedule, but uh, you know, this is this is this is fun stuff, and it's always good to get people excited. And when you can impact a community, it's 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 I'm really passionate about that. So yeah, That's you can right. give me an email. That's, that'd be cool. So should they contact you through your website, or do you have an yes. email address? Okay, yeah, my, through my website, be great. Okay, perfect. So georgefowler.com, and we're going to put a link to that in the description for this video. And also, some of your trainings are posted on the ICEFT website. That's I-C-E-E-F-T dot com. So make sure you guys check that out for a list of trainings. You can follow George. And you're all over the country, which is exciting. And you offer actually a variety of trainings, not just on working with emotions and highly escalated couples, which is one of our favorites. But you also do some family training, too. Yes. We always... You got to keep yourself fresh and always doing new things, right? Otherwise, we get stale. So, yeah, training a lot of great trainers out there. It's welcome to the family. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you again so much, George, for being with us today. We really appreciate your time and your expertise, and just so much knowledge and wisdom that you have for us, guys. Make sure you check out georgefowler.com or ICEF.com, or check out both, actually. And if you haven't become an ICEF member, make sure that you join. It is completely amazing and worth it, and you get access to all kinds of benefits and discounts. It's wonderful. And if you guys haven't subscribed, make sure that you subscribe to my channel because more EFT trainings are on the way. Thank you again, guys. Well, thank you, Annabelle, for doing this. What a gift to the community. Blessings. Thank you. And thank you so much, guys, for staying tuned. And just make sure you hit that subscribe button. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, guys. Ciao.